In the last decade, the global economic arena has witnessed a gradual yet consistent trend towards protectionist values. An idea that promotes the mining for the best talent within your own country while making it increasingly difficult for talent outside of your borders to gain entry. Erickson Immigration Group's global attorneys Salman Chima and Tarun Paul Dillon discussed this trend of how specific countries are tightening their standards on international candidates and provides tips to companies and employees on some key ways to navigate this new economic environment. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. So Taryn, you know, we've been looking at a lot of uh, changes in global immigration in our practice. Uh, you know, the rhetoric in the U.S. anyway has been towards more of a tightening of immigration standards, more compliance. On our team, on the global team, we've got an opportunity to see beyond the U.S. and a lot of other jurisdictions. And what are you seeing right now that uh, we can share? Definitely the tightening trend is something that is not limited to the U.S. And interestingly enough, if you look far back in 2013, it was something that was very strong, the idea of Brexit coming into play. It's not just a EU member country issue. It's going to the APAC region. It's going to um, Singapore and Australia specifically. And um, it's an interesting time to be a, a business owner, <laughs> yes. definitely. Sure. And, you know, we look at the rhetoric, which typically revolves around family immigration, asylum, refugees. But what's happening as a result is the talk has seeped into business immigration, where we're seeing that countries are really making a concerted effort to make sure that salaries are higher than they were before, mm -hmm. that the job descriptions really closely match these positions that are being offered, mm -hmm. and that just in overall, there's a trend. And, and, you know, I think it really started with Brexit. And I think you highlighted in our article that a lot of this began way before the Trump administration came into the U.S. and mm -hmm. before, you know, Brexit actually happened. Yeah, so 2013 was when Prime Minister David Cameron first announced the idea of a simple in-and-out referendum choice of whether the U.K. would remain a member of the EU. You know, protesters were asked about the motivation. I remember hearing we don't want foreigners, we want our people, we want um, advancement of UK nationals. So it might not have been the primary reason for the UK exiting out of the EU, but it's definitely something that is, I would say, obvious. <laughs> the idea of the UK exiting out of the EU, how do we make that swift exit? What is that exit even going to look like? Is that exit going to happen <laughs> even? There's so Indeed. much discussion, so much debate as to what that is going to look like. The referendum in 2016 was divisive, but we all want the best for our country. 2019 can be the year we put our differences aside and move forward together. If this proceeds, you might actually see an, a, a situation occur where more people from countries like India and China would have an opportunity to settle in the UK uh, on tier two visas, which is the, the normal route for visas, than current EU nationals. Uh, I think it's an unintended consequence, but when you 
open the door up, then all of a sudden you've got more people who might be eligible that would take those slots. Mm -hmm. So that's I think that's kind of an interesting outcome from this. One thing that people in the UK right now should think about is maybe applying for permanent residence if they've already been there for five years. They're most likely going to be given uh, you know, a grant to stay. And if they've already been there five years and they have that proof of permanent residence, they're EU nationals, they'll be eligible for British citizenship if they want that. Beyond that, you know, you can still go there between now and December 31, 2020 and be eligible for the pre-settled status. Mm -hmm. uh, what we don't know right now is how UK nationals are going to be treated by the EU in each of these member countries. Yeah, what's the reciprocal effect? It's exactly. So that's like the shoe that has yet to drop. Uh, and most likely, they'll probably do something similar to what the UK has done, just to mirror that. Uh, but that's something that, that our listeners are going to want to keep track of. Yeah. So. Um what have you seen outside of the UK? So interestingly, in, in the APAC region, which you've always sort of seen as business friendly, especially in Australia and Singapore, we've seen similar tightenings. Um, Australia seemingly overnight did away with their entire business immigration scheme in 2017 and implemented a new one um, you know, that just came into being this year which called for a lot of changes, especially to their TSS 482 uh, subclass visa. And what happened was they decided to, to scrap a lot of the positions that previously were eligible for, for work visas, uh, which tightened the roles down to really technical uh, to jobs. And uh, for more soft skill positions, they put in hard limits. So right now, you are, if you're a, uh, like an account executive or sales professional, you're only going to get a two-year visa, which you can extend for another two years. After that, you're going to have to leave the country. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't even the big thing. The big thing was the Skilling Australia Fund, which they implemented. Uh, previously, businesses just had to pay into a fund uh, based on a percentage of their revenue, which is quite low, I think it was only about 1%, into a fund that would skill local Australians. Instead, they've implemented an annual fee that uh, a company has to pay for each application for per year that the applicant is going to be there. So if someone is there for four years, mm -hmm. they have to pay almost $7,200 uh, into the fund at the beginning of the application uh, just to apply, um, which is pretty onerous from a business perspective. And uh, we just got today the numbers um, from the uh, Australian Home Office. And as a result of these changes, we've seen a 12% decrease in the total migrant population, um, a huge drop of 10.5% in skill visas that were granted over the last year. So if the aim was to curtail uh, you know, legal business immigration, it certainly happened. Mm -hmm. um, now we're going to see kind of what the outcome of that is. And I mean, I can tell you just anecdotally, uh, some of the clients that I have are starting to look at New Zealand <laughs> as, a, as a place to pivot to. Uh, we've seen beefing up of, of New Zealand offices. Singapore is another one. Uh, Singapore has historically been seen as very pro-business. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get an employment pass to work in there within a few weeks. Yeah. Um, but what they've done there is use salary minimums as a way to curtail, um, you know, uh, overseas migrants. 
So what used to be a 12,000 uh, Singapore dollar minimum uh, to avoid labor market testing has been increased to 15,000 Singapore dollars per month mm -hmm. just to uh, get someone in without having to, to advertise locally in the market. So this is not just a trend we're seeing in the United States. That's the key takeaway here. We're seeing something that is global. It's happening in the EU. It's happening in the UK. It's happening in, in the APAC region. What we really need to advise, you know, clients and 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 you know individuals out there, are what are some steps that they can take um, to kind of uh, move forward from this and and react mm -hmm. or be proactive, I should say. Looking at some of the strategies that can be implemented, um, obviously, as we discussed with Singapore with salary increases, it's to just budget for them. Mm -hmm. Take that into consideration when you look at an applicant um, and in a, in a move to the Singapore or um, any of these other countries that are looking at um, you know higher wage requirements. Another thing is when you address salaries is to look at whether you can include benefit packages. What we've looked at is how is housing um, being allocated. Mm -hmm. Based on that, it may be included into that salary, the fifteen thousand. How are uh, you know um, car benefits um, and other uh, you know, uh, relocation benefits um, being organized um, based on that strategy. Um, sometimes you can include them and and kind of deal with the salary issue that way. Yeah, and I think it's really important for recruiters to look at uh, you know the candidates, especially the job descriptions, um, and and working with immigration counsel to potentially spot red flags in advance. I think that the really smart companies have been able to pivot in regions where they can see you know using immigration com uh, law as a guiding sort of beacon for where to go next. Like in the UK, a lot of companies we saw that we work with started really ramping up their uh, recruiting in Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Ireland's going to stay in the EU most likely. <laughs> you know, out, out of all this, they're not going to want to leave. So they're in the same time zone. Uh, they still use the euro. Um, it's a good way for them uh, to for companies in Ireland in, in in the EU to maintain a population there, and they speak English. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, in the APAC region, New Zealand, like I just mentioned, I think a lot of companies that are in Australia are looking at New Zealand as an option. Uh, but really, another thing companies need to start looking at, and we're seeing this in the U.S. too, uh, is skilling up the local workforce. Um, you know, working with universities locally, um, creating apprenticeship programs. Um, you know, working in tandem with with colleges to make sure that you have more of a local applicant pool, and mm -hmm. you're not so heavily reliant on overseas employees. Um, I think this is something that that companies are going to need to want to look at. Um, so that, you know, if you need to start bringing in more STEM grads, maybe you do it at a college level. Uh, in the U.S., you know, from the F1 perspective, um, we, we might start seeing more of that overseas. Companies hiring more direct out of college and, and working with those schools. So I think that's something that we'll see uh, coming down the pike. From all of EIG and Immigration Nerds, we want to say welcome back from the holidays and Happy New Year's. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at EIGlaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIGlaw to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.